Coach Steve Maletto from Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in three, two, one. Good everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and my special guest today is Dr. Tony Wagner, who currently serves as a senior research fellow for the Learning Policy Institute. Dr. Wagner is the author of six books, including the bestseller, The Global Achievement Gap, and my personal favorite, Creating Innovators, The Making of Young People who will change the world. He's also been involved with two widely acclaimed documentaries as a co-author and consultant for Most Likely to Succeed with Ted Dinnersmith. He's also the voice of the Finland phenomenon as both a narrator and senior advisor. Dr. Wagner previously served as founder and co-director of the Change Leadership Group at the Harvard Graduate School. He has an extensive background in K-12 education as a former high school English teacher and school principal. As a popular speaker and author, Dr. Wagner is leading the charge to reinvent our education system. So sit back and enjoy this great conversation with Dr. Tony Wagner. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins. It's a tremendous honor to welcome in my very special guest tonight, one of the world's leading voices in education, Dr. Tony Wagner. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Well, I know you're busy, and I know you have a lot going on. I've always been uh, one of those people that admires your work uh, as an author and a speaker and as a global voice for change in education. Uh, I've heard you refer to yourself before as a recovering high school English teacher. I know yes. you, also, you also spent some time as an elementary principal. Um, as you think back to those times, could you ever imagine the impact you would have globally on education as we talk about change? No, not at all, frankly. I mean, my ambitions were way more modest than I was trying to have an impact and make a difference for my kids and for my school. I've also heard you speak a lot about uh, this idea of reform versus reinvention. And you're not a big fan of education reform. So what is the difference between uh, education reform and reinventing education, per se? Well, that's a great question. You know, my favorite quote is the one of Einstein when he said, the formulation of the problem is often more essential than the solution. We here in America believe that the only problem we have in education is the, is the poor quality of education, our disadvantaged students are allegedly receiving. And the solution is believed to be reforming their schools, making them look more like good middle-class schools. Well, first of all, I think they're dead wrong about what's wrong with our kids' disadvantaged education. The real problem is poverty. It's not their schools. But more broadly speaking, the challenge, I believe, is not merely to reform our education system, 
It's to reimagine it for the 21st century, which is a very different problem. Yeah, and that works in perfectly to, uh, you know, why we have this podcast, this idea to reimagine schools, because I think most people will agree that, uh, you know, the old traditional model is broken and something has to change. But uh, I guess change is the hard part. You've actually written a book about change leadership. So as you go around and speak and talk with people, I guess, first of all, um, what has changed since you've been out kind of leading the charge talking about change? And then what's that area of frustration that uh, we still need to do a lot of work? Yeah. Well, when I first sort of talk, had this mantra, schools aren't failing, they don't need reforming, they're obsolete, and they need reimagining, I was kind of a bit of a voice in the wilderness. <laughs> there were not too many other people kind of saluting that flag. I'm talking, you know, 15, 20 years ago. But what's been most heartening, I think, is that more and more people have come to realize that our industrial model of batch processing large numbers of kids with low-level skills and content simply doesn't work for the 21st century. And that we have to differently prepare all kids for work, for learning, and for citizenship. So that's the good news. I think there's been a kind of a growing awareness about the real nature of the problem. Now, to the side that's disappointing and discouraging, we still have policymakers who continue to believe that the real problem is lazy teachers, and if we crack the whip and get teachers to work harder to get more kids to pass more dumb tests, then all will be well in America. So the real problem is we have an accountability system that's incenting bad teaching. And it's not teachers' fault. It's what they feel they have to do to get kids to pass the test, test prep. and so. Uh, frankly, I, I lay the, the challenge and the burden right here at the feet of our policymakers to sort of really wake up to the fact that it's not merely about sort of tinkering with broken schools. It's about something far more fundamental. And, you know, you and I have a, have a friend in common in Ted Dinnersmith, and obviously you have a much closer relationship with him than I would. Ted's been on our show a couple times. Great guy, great advocate for change in our schools. But I just interesting to know what is your relationship with Ted how did it develop and how has it evolved over the years well I feel very fortunate he reached out to me now I guess it must be six or seven years ago he was a you know concerned parent and a concerned citizen he was reading everything he could possibly read about schools and education and he'd come across the global achievement gap and he thought it was one of the best books he'd written read, that is, <laughs> hadn't written any by then. And so he, he sent me a cold email saying, can we meet? So I said, sure. So we agreed to meet for breakfast. Turned out breakfast went about three hours. <laughs> and uh, he immediately asked if I would join him in helping to create a film about the kind of educational transformation that we both believed to be essential. And so we started working together kind of imagining what the film would be while he was meanwhile interviewing uh, lots of documentary filmmakers and we were thinking about where we wanted to film and so on. Found Greg Whiteley, turned out to be just an extraordinary filmmaker. Worked with him very closely uh, for I guess now nearly it was two years. And so well, as the film was beginning to come together, Ted said, well how about we write a book to go along with the film? And I wasn't all that keen on writing another book just then. I'd finished creating Innovators, and I was kind of pondering the world, but he was very insistent, so we did. We wrote Most Likely to Succeed, and I have to tell you, he wrote first drafts of every single one of those chapters, 
And the fact that his name comes second on the book is actually not accurate, <laughs> needless to say. Well, as you know, Ted has now written another extraordinary book, uh, What School Could Be, and I was very happy to kind of review it and write a favorable blurb, and we continue to stay in close touch. And, uh, you know, kudos for all the, the work and success you've had with Ted doing, uh, doing things, not only writing the books, but in filmmaking. And you were also involved in the film, The Finland Phenomenon. And what is the difference between uh, the writing process when you write, write these books and trying to capture these things on film? Well, the, there, there are many different considerations. With a book, what you have to do is make a clear argument, right? With a film, you have to tell a compelling story. And so you have to think about the visual effects. You have to think about the cinematography, in other words. Uh, and, and then, of course, you have to write a script that's on the whole has to be punchier and, and shorter and pithier and, and more in terms of sound bites and less in terms of long paragraphs. So it's a different medium. I actually find both quite interesting and challenging. Are you somewhat surprised that more schools aren't trying to copy that Finland model or, or what is the, the barrier in, in the states that would prevent that from happening? I, I know it's apples to oranges, but there have to be some, some great takeaways from, um, from that experience in that, in that documentary that we can at least try some new things here. Well, there are, there are, I think, a lot of important lessons that policymakers could take away from the movie. Because the, the real challenge is to understand what Finland did in terms of fundamental changes in policies that really in turn created significant improvements in their education system. It's actually a very important model for states. And Brenda Caselius, who's the head of, of education in Minnesota, has long been interested in sort of trying to adapt that model to the Minnesota context. Because what the Finns did first and foremost was begin with a national conversation. They realized that as an underperforming agrarian economy with a stunningly mediocre education system, they weren't gonna thrive in the 21st century unless they developed the, the one natural resource they had beyond just trees. And that was every young person's mind. And so they committed to creating a, a totally different education system that was about both excellence and equity. And where they started was very different than where we started. They started with transforming the preparation of teachers and the recruitment of a different kind of teacher into the classroom. And I think what we see over and over is that that strategy has really been the one to have paid off. The teachers now are some of the best in the world. They have 10 applicants for every one teaching position. And I know you spent a lot of your time talking about your best-selling book, The Global Achievement Gap, but if I could, and, and that's a great book, and if you don't have that, you need to run out and get it. it. It's fantastic, and it answers a lot of those questions as we think about what needs to happen to change schools in this country. But if I could shift gears, I thought Creating Innovators, that book was just fantastic. And I know you're a huge advocate for uh, the 20% time, FedEx time. What do we have to do to infuse more creative opportunities for kids in our schools? I think we have to reframe the problem again, Greg. So the challenge for so many teachers, they think, is to simply get kids to pass the test. And if we really clearly understand the 21st century, we'll understand that academic content still matters. You got to need, you need to know stuff, right? But, you know, the world cares less and less about how much our students know. What the world cares about is what they can do with what they know. Because 
Knowledge has become a commodity. It's on every internet connected device. So skills in the 21st century matter more than academic content knowledge. And we've written and talked a lot about those skills, but I would argue motivation is actually what matters most. And so if you are intrinsically motivated as a student, you will continue to develop the new skills and the new content knowledge that you will need to thrive. And so I think the lesson for teachers is to really understand we need all three. We need content knowledge, we need skills, and we need to develop students' intrinsic motivation, their curiosity, their desire to make a difference, their desire for what I call play, passion, and purpose. And so every teacher needs to think about all three criteria when you, when you, when you design a lesson. What's the content knowledge of my teaching? How important is it? How do I know? What are the skills I'm teaching? How will I assess them? And finally, how am I stimulating students' intrinsic motivations for learning? And, you know, in the, in the book, The Global Achievement Gap, you kind of lay out your uh, seven survival skills. And, and you just touched on number seven there, curiosity and imagination. As you put those together, I know that was research-based. You spent a lot of time talking to a lot of different folks. But we talk a lot about the four C's right now and those mm -hmm. soft skills. Are you seeing a, a greater shift to not only those four C's, but to some of these survival skills that you've been talking about for so long? Oh, in terms of people's thinking about outcomes, absolutely. And the four C's are merely a distillation of what I call the seven survival skills. They're kind of a handy placeholder, if you will. But over and over again, people continue to tell me that those seven survival skills are exactly the outcomes that matter most. Just a couple of months ago, the World Economic Forum, in their newsletter, wrote a long description of the seven survival skills, now a decade after that book has come out. And it continues to sell extremely well, 150,000 copies or something like that in print. So there's no doubt that the conversation has shifted away from you know, how much kids have to memorize to what skills and dispositions they need to master. You know, Tony, we have a lot of superintendents and principals and school leaders around the, the country listening to our podcast here. So uh, if you think about that first year beginning administrator, whether they're in that executive role or the principal's role, and they're wanting to change some things. What advice would you have for those folks? How can they begin this process of reinventing what school looks like? Well, I, I think that's a critical question. And sort of I, as a head of a school, made some serious mistakes. And I've certainly worked with a lot of administrators and superintendents who have tended to start with the answer rather than the question. You know, we in education have something I call answeritis. I've got this answer for you. 20% time, FedEx time, uh, you know, group work, whatever it happens, projects. That's the new reform du jour, the new flavor of the month. We start too often with answers to questions parents and teachers haven't had a chance to ask. Solutions to problems that they didn't even know were problems. So I think the place to start is in conversations with adults connected with the school, parents as well as teachers, about how the world has changed and what that means for what our kids will need differently to thrive. That's why we made the film Most Likely to Succeed. It, the, the idea was to create a film that could be a kind of provocation for discussion. Wouldn't provide all the answers, provides an interesting model to look at and learn from, but more importantly, it raises a series of questions. You know, is our education system meeting the needs of today's students and, and the jobs of the future? 
If not, then what do we need to be looking at? So I think to the education leaders out there, whether they be teacher leaders or building leaders or system leaders, the challenge is to begin with a dialogue about the right questions as opposed to the answers. You know, my hope is 10 years from now, we're not having the same conversation. And I know you don't have a crystal ball there in front of you, but as you think about the future and what future classrooms might look like, what is your hope? Well, to be honest with you, my vision is that a high school diploma should be not merely a certificate of seat time served, which it is now, you've served the right amount of seat time and the right amount, gathered the right amount of Carnegie units in the right amount of time, you get to graduate, you get a diploma. Well, let's make a high school diploma a certificate of mastery instead. A collection of merit badges, if you will, some required, some elective. Merit badges in the scientific method, merit badges in um, historical analysis, merit badges in communication skills, maybe elective badges in entrepreneurship or social service but make them a collection of merit badges and then backwards walk those graduation requirements to end of middle school and end of elementary. So you have a seamless network of the development of content knowledge and skills and dispositions. Now the good news is that one of the most important innovations that moves in this direction is something called the Mastery Transcript Consortium, mastery.org. This is a group of schools that were initially just private schools, which have come together to create an entirely different kind of high school transcript. They were fed up with the fact that college admissions requirements dictate the high school curriculum. They said, no, we're gonna change it. We're gonna create a transcript based on merit badges, based on mastery of competencies. No grade point average, no grades, no test scores, now, the, the exciting thing is, as of July 1, the Master Transcript Consortium is open to any kind of high school. It doesn't have to be just private. And they're really leading the charge in the, in the creation of a, of a new framework for thinking about high school learning outcomes. And they're bringing some colleges along, which is very exciting. The University of Chicago has just recently announced, not only will they no longer require any kind of test scores, but more importantly, that they're really interested in and eager to look at student work as evidence of mastery of skills. That's the breakthrough. When a college of that kind of uh, status has made that kind of very public decision, we're, we know we're onto something exciting. Well, Tony, once again, thanks for your valuable time. Uh, again, keep, keep leading the charge for change. The last question I'll ask you as we close out is, what new projects or initiatives do you have that uh, you're really excited about. <laughs> well, I'm on the board of the Master Transcript Consortium, and I'm very excited about the work they're doing. I'm also advising a number of other interesting groups, but I'm also engaged on a very personal uh, project. You know, I started out life wanting to be a novelist. I wrote three drafts of a very bad novel in my first year of my doctoral program. Discovered I really wasn't a novelist, but I'm writing a memoir, Greg. You know, two confessions here. I was a kid who was asked not to come back for his high school ninth grade year after middle school. I had to go to another school. I dropped out of high school in my senior year, finally graduated from another school. I dropped then, Greg, out of two colleges before graduating from some school nobody's ever heard of. Well, then how does a kid who hates school with that kind of background end up with a couple of degrees from Harvard and six books published? 
well, that's the memoir I'm writing. I'm writing a memoir about my early learning and my also early teaching experiences because I was a high school, school English teacher for more than a decade before you know, sort of branching out as it were. So I'm really enjoying this exciting new work. It's kind of like working on a master's of, of fine arts in a, in, a, in a ripe old age. And so I, I have a contract, the book is due February 1, it'll be out early in 2020. Don't know the title yet, but uh, keep your eyes open. I think folks may find it um, in some ways illuminating, let's say that. I also think you have a bright future as a voiceover person or a narrator because the work you did in the, fin, uh, the Finland documentary, I thought was fantastic. So again, okay. kudos to you. Thanks. So be sure. Well, to, maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe Hollywood will pick up the option and make my memoir into a movie. <laughs> I hope, yeah, I hope so. I doubt it, but one can dream. Be sure to follow Dr. Tony Wagner on Twitter at Dr. Tony Wagner. You can also find out all you want to know about his work, his speaking engagements, and buy the book at TonyWagner.com. So, Tony, thanks again for being here. And thanks to all of our listeners on the Reimagine Schools podcast. And as always, do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids.